I had the great ambition to be a missionary. As long as I could remember, people would ask me when I decided that I wanted to be a missionary. I don't remember when I decided because I certainly do not remember a time when I didn't want to be a missionary. These people were my heroes. I wanted that marvelous privilege. This quote is from noted missionary, author, and speaker Elizabeth Elliott, who uh, was an important missionary, um, faced both uh, tragedy and victory on the mission field, and uh, read by our own Kelly Hill. Um, Elizabeth Elliott was a great witness of God's providence while in the mission field and a great example to all of us. And I'm joined today by Pastor Jason Hill of Sheridan Hills Baptist Church and his wife, Kelly Hill, our classical coordinator and frequent guest to the show. And um, they themselves, like Elizabeth Elliott, took on this unbelievable decision to be involved in international missions. And as someone who spent his whole life essentially in one spot, um, in South Florida, I, I'm always intrigued by these stories. Um, as a school, we are with partnering with our church to launch um, a more intentional mission focus uh, this school year, uh, not only locally, but also getting involved in international missions this summer. So what a great opportunity to look as a classical school of what role does missions play in this thing called classical education. Um, so Pastor Jason, why don't you start us off? Why is missions so important? Well, when we think about missions, missions involves the total redemption plan of God and how the church proclaims that message to a lost and dying world. So missions is important because it's our role, our responsibility to share with others about what God did in sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And as we know in the world today, the world is in desperate need of that message. That's right. So uh, you are, from your accents, uh, <laughs> not from South Florida. No. And you're not from uh, Zambia, where you served in Africa. Right. Um, you're from Alabama, and you end up in really, and I would argue you're, you're in two mission fields, right? Uh, Zambia, Africa, and right here in uh, just north of Miami, Hollywood, Florida, um, where we Definitely. also speak multiple different languages. Uh, but uh, how did you both uh, arrive at this idea of international missions? Well, for me, it was a, a lifelong um, learning that I, that I went through. So in my family, my family was very involved in church. My family had often had missionaries and pastors and others come to our house and spend time with us there. And I remember sitting in our living room and just hearing stories of what God was doing around the world with through different missionaries. And so... That fostered in me at a very young age a desire to want to know more about what God was doing around the world. And then also going to a church that also believed in missions as well, um, that fostered in me that continual desire to want to learn and grow. And I went and spent time overseas uh, as a high schooler and also as a college student and uh, learned a lot about what God was doing there and it just continued to feed that desire to want to know more about what God was doing. Exactly. And so Jason grew up in a Southern Baptist church, uh, like our, you know, our church Sheridan Hills and, uh, the Southern Baptist church does a great job of cooperating for missions our, as a denomination. We do a great job of cooperating with other churches for missions. And so, um, Jason really took advantage of that. His parents made sure that he could take advantage of all of these opportunities to uh, 
you know, eat with missionaries to serve. Um, he served in North American missions multiple times and then in international missions. And, and I would add to Jason just because now I've known him since, wow, how many years, babe? 27 <laughs> years. Yes. There is also a gene in him for adventure. <laughs> like, can, where's the furthest place on earth I can travel and let me go there? And he, he would love to be a travel agent, you know, as a side gig because he just is always looking at flights, always looking at other places and countries. He loves the people of the world. It's just really part of his personality, I would say. For me, I, I mean, we couldn't have had more different stories about how we arrived at international missions. Um, I grew up in, uh, I guess, it, with a mindset that I would, I would just go to college in Alabama. I would marry someone from Alabama. I would stay put and live like my parents lived seven houses from my grandparents. That was my, I lived in the same house all my life. I have a big family, so does Jason. Uh, we both are one of four children, but I think I just only thought that was, I thought that was the only possibility I would grow up and I would buy a house seven away from my mom and dad and have my kids and everything. So um, very different kind of perspective on the world, I think, as we were children. Then we met in college and um, on our first date, Jason took me for a walk and he said, I just want to let you know that I am called to ministry which I didn't completely understand what that meant, which is maybe uh, maybe uh, allowed me to spend time getting to know. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know what that meant exactly, but I could tell this was a godly man. And he said, I just want to let you know that up front in case you want to run. And <laughs> also because wherever God leads me, he'll lead my whole family. And it's important that I have a wife who wants to walk beside me and not one that I'm having to drag along or, you know, or who's running ahead. Like we need to walk side by side through this because I'm already sure of this call. And it definitely intrigued me. I was a believer. I was growing as a believer. And so that's how our, our, uh, getting to know each other romance started. So all I had fair warning that he was called to ministry and then as soon as we both graduated from college, we got married and he started seminary school where he was being fed a rich diet for the world of missions and God's word, constantly hearing missionaries come and share about their work. Um, meanwhile, I was uh, a brand new bride living in a brand new city with a brand new job. Uh, I was, that was my first teaching job. And I, ooh, I was struggling and I wasn't, I was in a, a public school, so I wasn't really being, um, able to hear all of this rich missions uh, direction that Jason was hearing. And he started to say to me, I think God may be calling me overseas. Now we're married at this point. So if, you know, we're, we're secure, we're, we're covenantally joined. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which I, I wasn't even considering that. I'm just saying like, now it's both of us. And he's saying, I'm sensing God call me to missions. And I was overwhelmed in my new, all these other transitions. And I literally cover my ears. Do you remember? And sometimes I would cry and I'll be like, I literally can't have you talk about this right now. I please don't say this. Don't talk about. And he was feeling a stronger and stronger call. I was more and more covering my ears in sort of fear and, you know, the unknown. And we ended up, Jason stopped talking to me about it. And just started praying fervently, turning all that conversation only to the Lord. And one of his professors joined him in praying that God would just align us with the same call. Because, of course, he doesn't direct husbands and wives in different directions. So from that point, God started to completely change my heart about missions. And um, so while he grew up with 
all of the ingredients to lead to this call, God changed my heart and gave me, um, he brought me to a point where I had no other choice but to say yes, because God so convinced me that he was calling us overseas. So I know we arrived at different places, but at that point is where God brought our call to the exact same point. Now we're on the same team. <laughs> and that's <laughs> important know. because, yes, uh, some people on the mission field end up there, like Pastor Jason, who honestly, similar story to Elizabeth Elliott, who says she grew up with them at her house and eating yeah. dinner at her house, and it was yes. just missionaries were these heroes, right? And here you come from a more conventional background as mm -hmm. far as maybe not hearing that all the time. It wasn't mm -hmm. like you didn't know what it was. But it, it, and God still drew you both to the same place. So that's encouraging. That's a positive thing. Yeah. So, uh, Jason, what did your ministry look like in, in Zambia? So we specifically moved to the city of Kitwe, Zambia. It's in, in the Copper Belt area of Zambia. And our ministry was specifically to work with college students. So we lived actually across the street from Copper Belt University and during the day, I would make trips to the university and, and seek to engage students in conversation. Uh, during the evenings, the students all lived on campus, so I would go there and uh, seek to lead Bible studies with each one of the, the students. Now, these students were important to reach because these were the future leaders of Zambia. So uh, there were only two universities in Zambia at the time, and so this was one of, of, the, of the two. And so us reaching these students would possibly reap huge benefits in, in all of Zambia as those students then became leaders, whether they were business leaders or government leaders. And how were you received by those students? Uh, the students really received me well. Um, I, I would walk through the, the halls, and I was the only uh, white person that they would see, and they were frequently welcoming me into their room. They would offer me food. Uh, some Zambian food, and I would go in and eat, and they were shocked that I would eat the food. And he would also go watch soccer games with them. Mm. That was the that oh, was yeah. the international love language uh, <laughs> where we were. So, uh, soccer helped him unite with them. Too. But you do have a reputation in just the years I've known you of being an adventurous eater. So yes. maybe that part of the mission field wasn't so difficult for you. Yeah, we yeah. love we there love was, the food. There in was Zambia. definitely interesting food that w we actually <laughs> ate and enjoyed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that I should ask you what was the most interesting oh, thing you ate. I would love to tell you. Okay. So one thing that was very interesting that we loved, and it sounds strange, but I'm telling you it was delicious. We went back for more and more was fried termites. They're mm. big ones. They're not like the small ones that we are infested with here in South Florida. These are big, juicy, seasonal termites, and everyone catches as many as they can. And then you you fry them, you slough the little wings off, salt. They're delicious. Oh, wow. Sort of like... The little almost popped popcorn kernels, but I love them. The most out there thing that I ever ate is called a Mopani worm. And you should Google it just to see an image of what a Mopani worm looks like. It is a, it's as big as my thumb. Um, also fried, but the inside was still gelatinous. It was, it was, that was the worst thing I ever had. Okay, just remember, my friends, we're trying to get people to consider yeah, the mission yeah, yeah. field. <laughs> so, we loved the food in Zambia. I mean, we loved being missionaries in Zambia. We, awesome. we, we went in with a visa stamped missionary. So that wow. is not the case in many countries of the world. Um, but in Zambia, we, several years ago, um, Zambia gained their independence, like in the sixties, I would say, I'm, I may be wrong about that. 
um, their independence from Britain, and they gained it peacefully. They just said, "May we please be released from you?" And I think by then they were they there was a long line of people who demanded it and fought, and then they said, "Yes, you may, Zambia." So um, their first president was very much about peace in the nation. And although there are seventy two tribes, he said, "You're Zambians first, and he made a cabinet of people from many tribes. He uh, celebrated all the tribes, which is that's also a kind of an unusual thing in Africa. You can have tribes warring against each other and trying to overthrow governments that are made up of only one or the other. Zambia was very unified, and they all, he was not a believer, but he made a good climate. Um, that made it a, a safe place for missionaries to go and live and stay. The next president um, was actually led to the Lord by a Southern Baptist missionary and then showed fruit upon fruit for years until he died um, of a truly changed life. And uh, he he just further helped the climate for missionaries to come. So we served in a place where you can be a missionary, you can be an open missionary. I remember we had some people occasionally knock on our gate. We have like a gate around your property. Every property does um, knock on our gate and say, is there someone here who can tell me about the Lord? I mean, no one has knocked on our door and said, please tell me about the Lord here yet. But um, a very open to the gospel, very open spiritually, open to anything spiritually. They also have Jehovah's Witnesses and um, Muslim influence coming in from the east coast of Africa. They're open to anything. So it was very important to seize that with the true, the one true gospel. Oh, that's amazing. So those sound some ex- both exciting and also uh, rich spiritual journeys uh, as you see God work in those people's lives. Now let's talk about kind of the hard part, right? What mm-hmm. Kelly, what are some of the struggles that you faced while you were on the mission field? Right. So, um, so I, I there was so much joy, so I don't want to. I don't want to undermine the joy. The Lord gave us genuine joy. We went with a one-way ticket mindset. We thought we would live there till there's till we were in our sixties and retire, and we were happy to be there. Um, but yes, there were some struggles. Um, just learning a new language and humbling yourself to really only be able to talk about like a eighteen to twenty-month-old child. That's that's probably where we were. Maybe Jason. Jason was very verbally communicative. He he was able to carry on conversations, to preach in our local language. It's called Chibimba. Um, I could hear it and write it and read it, um, which is funny. That's totally our personalities too. Like he's just like jump into the relationship and I'm like, I, I'm like, I've got good notes on the language. I know how to, how the verb should end and all that. Uh, did you get that training in, did that, did the mission, did IMB provide that mission? The IMB did. We actually went to another city, the city of right. Kasama, which is kind of the heart of what they call Chibimba land mm-hmm. because the Paramount chief was near that area. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where we learned Bimba. To get us away from more English speakers. Mm-hmm. Because the, the ministry that we were involved with there at the university, it was all in English because the students learned in English. Mm. But it did help for us to have the local language uh, and be able to hear it and know what they're talking about. Because oftentimes when we would walk through the halls or talk to the students or whatever, they would turn to their friend and speak in a different language. And so mm-hmm. knowing what they're saying, it's helpful so that you can then address them. And knowing the, a bit of the culture also helps us Definitely. to be able to uh, build stronger relationships with them while we're there. Absolutely. And for anyone, if you're talking about spiritual things, 
you as much as you can, you want to talk about that in the language that someone thinks in the language that they call their mom and talk. If they call, if you call your mom and you speak English, then you can talk about spiritual things in English. If you call your mom and you speak something else, that's the language that you probably maybe maybe you would like to be able to you know talk about. It's really helpful. Spiritual now, things. Now you went over overseas. You're now uh, parents of four children, but you yes. went over there. Yeah, with that was a struggle. I would say. So we went with no children. We arrived, uh, we were 24 and 25 years old, I want to say. We were as young as the International Mission Board allows you to be as career missionaries, and we had been married just long enough, like the very minimum, to go. And so there's some benefits to that because a lot of people have obstacles of they've got debt that they've accumulated because they've been married for a while, or um, maybe they have uh, other, you know, the more children you have, the more people have to pass medical clearance or educational clearance. Or if you have one with braces, you have to, you can only go to a country where they can keep taking care of your braces because they're glued on. So since we had no children yet, we were very free. We went very quickly through the process. But then we had our first daughter. She was born in Africa. And as a side note, that was our best hospital experience. I mean, all of our other kids were born in America. And sometimes people were like, what was that like to have a baby in Africa? I'm like, the people in Africa know what's up with having babies, and they're amazing. And we had so much support. We had an amazing hospital staff. It was it was great. But you have your first baby, and you live, babe, how many miles away from our parents did we live? I can't even count. How many time zones? Eight time zones. Um, and she was born prematurely. So it was like, surprise, she's going to be born tomorrow. So no one came from our family for the birth, but the Lord took such good care of us. The nurses saw that we were on our own, and they just made a big deal about our baby. So it was really sweet. So in Zambia, Zambia is a, a third world country. So when we had medical concerns, we would have to leave Zambia and fly down to South Africa, which was about a two-hour flight. Or a 28-hour so. drive. Or, yeah, or a 28-hour <laughs> drive. Two-hour flight or 28-hour right. drive. And so when Kelly had preeclampsia and the doctor in Zambia thankfully recognized that, mm-hmm. but he was saying, uh, you need to be in South Africa to have this baby yesterday. That's and what we he were said. like, oh, um, okay. So Kelly quickly boarded a plane and flew down. And then she saw a doctor there in South Africa. And the doctor in South Africa said, yes, we're going to have a C-section and have this baby then. Tomorrow. And, and, he yeah. said, like, and tomorrow, so then get I had here. to purchase a plane ticket and fly down immediately. So it was a very quick transition for all that to happen. Yeah, that's something on the mission field to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I, from your stories, that probably wasn't the last challenge you had. Right. So having Rachel there was a beautiful thing. We loved, she had a little British accent because Africans speak English with a British accent. That's how she sounded. She was, she had never known anything else. She was absolutely happy as a little kid could be. But then um, as she approached her second birthday, we had two pretty significant health issues happen with her. One of them wasn't a crisis, but we discovered that she had some really serious issues with her eyes, with her vision. And so we had to go back and forth to South Africa for that. But again, the Lord provided a Zambian eye doctor who saw her and said, this is exactly what is wrong. I have nothing that you need here. You have to leave. And so the International Mission Board just took such good care of providing for our medical needs. So we took care of that in South Africa. And then about four months later, right before her second birthday, she had a sip of water from a well on a Sunday. It was like the Sunday around 4th of July. And within 24 hours, Rachel was hospitalized. She was a little baby. 
Um, they first thought she had malaria, which we had malaria. Jason's had malaria 10 times. I've had malaria one time. And they thought she had malaria, so they began very aggressive malaria treatment. Um, she did not respond to that, and she declined very quickly. She ended up having to be medically evacuated. We flew on an amazing Learjet air ambulance um, that only had room for one of us. And so we drove out onto the tarmac of the airport. Um, Jason was voted to stay, and I voted to get into the airplane I with don't think Rachel. There was a vote. I don't think there was a vote. <laughs> so I was like, I'll see you tomorrow. I hope you can find yeah. your way here. Um, but we got in and had a really scary 24 hours. That really was back scary. in South Africa? Uh, well, that she was hospitalized in Zambia first okay. and declined at a really rapid rate. Um, I think in our ignorance as young parents, and we don't have medical knowledge, we didn't really comprehend the danger she was in until we debriefed with the International Mission Board. And we realized that her life was pretty seriously in danger. And so we ended up flying to South Africa in the middle of the night, I feel like. I think we landed at like 1 in the morning. She had had a fever that was dancing around 105 degrees for about 60-something hours, responding to no medication. She quit talking. Wow. She was very lethargic and just like floppy limp. And we got in the air ambulance, and this is where um, I, I know God was at work at all times, but in that ambulance, I mean, it took off like a rocket vertically, and then we leveled out for just a short time, and then we descended like a rocket, almost it again felt vertical. Um, and when we were at altitude, it was very quiet. The, the airplane was filled with medical equipment, hardly any room, and I'm holding her, and they have wires all over her. The doctor and the nurse is seeing about her. And for the first time in, in two days, Rachel started to sing Jesus loves me, like her little baby voice. And I, I just remember thinking, oh, I like, she's like, at least she's like here and speaking, making some sound again. And that was the first um, kind of relief where, you know, like the Bible talks about cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. And I picture like giving, giving Jason, he carries the heavy stuff because he's stronger than me. And that relief of when you're not holding the heavy thing and someone stronger is holding it like, and I could breathe again, but she wasn't out of the danger zone. We finally, we landed in South Africa. It's one o'clock in the morning and, um, uh, they met us out on the runway and an ambulance got us. And I, I can't remember all the details. I hadn't been to sleep in probably 70 hours. I think at this point they rushed us to the hospital. Now we had the South African medical team swarming her, taking care of everything. And they, um, they finally got a culture of what bacteria had attacked her. It wasn't malaria. And the, they discovered it. Had, they were like, has she had any well water? And I'm like sleep deprived. And I was like, oh, she did. On Sunday, I saw someone give her a little sip of water in kindness, not for harm. And I said, but I stopped. And I was like, no, no, no. And so I said, she probably only had a drip. And they said, that's all it takes if it has you know something dangerous in it i mean clean water is an issue all over the world and we were very careful with it but you know like you live there you're you relax and it's your um you just you're around dangerous things i guess um so once they identified it they got the right antibiotic and her fever broke and i remember her fever broke at 1.30 a.m. South Africa time, I, for whatever reason, the Lord let me notice what time it was. Medical stuff everywhere. It was on something. And 1.30 a.m. South Africa 
time. It was Wednesday night for us. That was 6.30 p.m. Wednesday night. I can hardly talk about this, so Jason's probably going to have to help me. But um, my mother-in-law and and um, so many others were praying. and um, In America at that same time. In America, time. which is Wednesday night prayer meeting. You know, like, I don't know that many churches have Wednesday night prayer meeting anymore, but at, at Jason's mom and dad's church, Wednesday night was a prayer meeting with a list of needs and a list of missionaries. And they prayed by name, and Jason's mother was, she was like, calling everyone she knew to pray. And at 6.30 is when Rachel's fever broke from 60 hours of unbroken fever. And it's also when I finally went to sleep after that, like when her fever finally broke and she didn't feel like she was on fire. Um, They brought me a little cot and I laid down and I slept. And I think Rachel and I both slept and slept and slept and slept. And um, she was knocked down very badly from that illness, just from a sip of water you know I mean do we understand what Zambian families go through when their babies get sick and die from having unclean water we sure did um and so I like looking back now I can thank the Lord for walking us through that and for helping us have a different kind of compassion it's one thing to have compassion when you just see what's happening it's a different thing to have compassion because you've already been there well and and for our listeners who are stressed out at home. Rachel's grown and yeah, she's fine. She's almost 21 <laughs> and she is in nursing school yeah. and she knows all of this is part of her story. Yeah. She knows. And, um, you know, she's going to be that same kind of, uh, nurse, like those sweet ones who mm-hmm. stepped in when they saw that no one was really coming to visit us in the hospital when she was born, the ones who stepped in and really saved her life, yeah. you know, as an almost two year old. So so Pretty we had cool. health difficulties, obviously, mm-hmm. that were there. We also had some unrest as well. Uh, there were times when the students that really didn't want to harm us, but yet they would be uh, riding with the government because they wanted a certain care or they wanted some provision there provided for them at the school. So there would be that that would hinder our ministry there. But we did see some tremendous victories as well, um, even among the students themselves. A desire and a hunger to want to study God's Word. Uh, We were able to build some very deep relationships with the students that were there, having them come over to our house, yes, to watch soccer (laughs) and uh, the the Champions League Mm -hmm. uh, games that were there. But also we saw other churches also wanting to take on Uh, ministry to whether it was students at the university or students at a teacher training college that would be going out to secondary schools all over the country of Zambia. And these churches continued the ministry once we left. They they continued the ministry, and the group just continued to grow as the nationals took responsibility for the ministry. So Mm -hmm. we were very excited about that. With that, we also were involved in church planting as well. So we were able to see churches in very rural areas uh, where gospel, the gospel had not gone, see churches just being birthed there in those locations, and then not only being birthed there, but that church also desiring to take the gospel even further and going to another city, another uh, village, I should say, and share the gospel there as well. I mean, that's, a, that's an amazing testimony. I think we get to see the support of the IMB, how God used them not only to send you there by the many gifts of churchgoers all over the world, 
um, but also their very strong organizational support of their missionaries. They don't just throw yes. you out there in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Um, they provide very uh, strong support. And then and then being able to see those fruits, those spiritual victories as, as a place like that grows spiritually. I mean, that's that's an amazing, amazing thing, even with all the trouble. So I will ask uh, Jason, you first, but then Kelly ch- chime in. If you could do it all over again, knowing what you know, knowing what you went through, would would you do it again? Yes, <laughs> Jason for sure. Would, Jason would probably get on a plane right now and in five minutes if he could if he could go, you know, back just loving the world, loving the people of the world, wanting to go for sure. And as Kelly had mentioned before, I think that's something that God had instilled in me mm-hmm. that heart for adventure, that heart for other people. I mean, that's part of our story. Even coming down to South Florida, that's right. just mm-hmm. coming here and and loving the people that to whom we're ministering to. Yeah. So, and we've been blessed by your spirits because at our church and school, because it's very hard for us sometimes to find classically minded people who are brave enough to come to South Florida. It's, it's we talked about that in our first podcast. How it, it, to be probably a little tougher in how I say it. It's almost like some people consider South Florida a step away from Zambia, and I think that's maybe unfair to the Zambians and it's unfair yeah. to South Florida, but it does take an adventurous right. spirit to be here. And yet, I think our teachers at our school, our, our pastors, I mean. Anywhere in the world, any even in our country, in a, in a sense, you're on the mission field, and certainly down here, um, because of the differences, we are as well. So, uh, I'm personally very grateful that 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 brought you here, and that God had that in His mind all the time. So, uh, starting with you, Kelly, uh, our last question: What advice would you give someone today, a listener who's asking, what should if should I consider a life in missions? I would say you absolutely should. In fact, I think if you're a believer, you should you should to some degree be saying, God, um, if not missions, like you're going to have to show me what else you want me to do. Because, I mean, the mandate is absolutely clear that we are to, first of all, or to, to give the gospel to those around us, but we are commanded to take the gospel to the nations. And that may look different for many, but most of us, uh, like, probably don't have too many stumbling blocks that would keep us from being able to go. So my advice would be, um, be ready with a, be ready to say yes to whatever God calls you to, you know, for us in South Florida, um, the nations have been brought right here to us. So that's an easy yes for us. As long as we don't put our head in the sand and only cling to the people who are just like us, you know, if we, we say, Lord, I see that you've brought all of these people right here and, they still go home and visit in other nations. They can take the gospel back to places where no missionaries are allowed to go. So having um, an attitude of, you know, wanting the nations to know the Lord and being ready to say yes to whatever God calls you to. And you don't have to be adventurous. I am the opposite of adventurous. <laughs> I like to. I like predictability. I like control. I like uh very clear, like safe edges on anything that I'm doing. That's the math teacher and you coming out. (laughs) It is. This is why I love the predictability of math and the objectivity. I like it. It does. It feels safe to me. Um, Jason, he doesn't need safety. Like he's so just like the Lord has got me. I don't have any fear. He's like that. So I keep him from bungee jumping and Mm -hmm. he keeps me from staying home and never venturing out. So God can call all kinds of personalities. He can call the introvert who will quietly go to a country where a quiet spirit is the thing that will be able to observe the culture and not be an intruder, but be a, a welcomed guest. There are cultures where uh, extroverts from America 
have to really relearn their personality, like re retrain their personality to be able to meld into the culture. So introverts say yes. If the Lord calls you extroverts say yes, if the Lord calls you and everyone in between. That's right. Jason, any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the advice I would give would be start paying attention to what God's doing around the world. How can you do that? Well, you can Google it. You can also um, read various books. I know one book that was helpful for me was Let the Nations Be Glad. It's an older book, but it's written by John Piper. It's a great book. It begins um, with a, a very challenging thought of why does missions exist? Missions exist because worship doesn't. And that's what we are called to do, to help others understand that they need to be worshiping the one true God, and that is revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. The other thing I would encourage people to do is consider participating in missions, whether it's missions locally or missions globally. I know we have been preparing for a trip here that's going to be a, a partnership between Sheridan Hills Christian School and Sheridan Hills uh, Baptist Church. And as we are looking to go overseas, we're going to go to Munich, and this is going to be an opportunity for students to be exposed to international missions where they're going to actually learn what missionaries go through in preparation for living in a various culture, in various cultures, I should say. So uh, I'm, I, I would encourage anyone to be a part of uh, participating in missions. Mm, that's awesome. Well, Jason Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. You know, Jason pointed out to me before the show that the word mission um, actually comes from a Latin word. Here we are, classical, right? We're going to Latin. Mitire, uh, which means to send, to send. And where do we get the idea to send? Well, it comes from Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 and 20, in what is commonly known as the Great Commission, where Jesus says to his disciples before he raises up to heaven, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Great words to end with. So until next time, thank you for listening, and seek what is good, true, and beautiful. Thank you for joining us. The opinions expressed on this program are that of the hosts and the guests. The podcast is produced by Alex Halpert. Sheridan Hills Christian School is a ministry of Sheridan Hills Baptist Church.